0: This is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with just the Zoo of Us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. And this is a really exciting day for me, because I get to talk to somebody really, really cool about a really cool animal. This is Dr. Asia Murphy. Say hi, Asia. Hey, guys. I'm so glad to have you here with us. I will admit I followed you on Twitter for a while. (laughs) and I think you're really cool. Um, And the animal that you study is really, really cool, too. This is the Fusa. And before we talk about the Fusa, let's talk about you for a minute. So how did you get into the work that you do?
1: So I basically got just really lucky. I had a dad who was interested in wildlife stuff, and so he would take me camping and hiking. And then I was lucky enough to get into a college that had a program for studying wildlife species. And I was lucky enough to get into a research program that sort of gave me this background that allowed me to go further into my career as a master's and a PhD student,
0: and you study ecology, right? Yeah, that's awesome. What is your What is your work look like? I know from following you on Twitter that you do a lot of work looking at camera traps. Mm -hmm. So, what what, like what does that work look like for you?
1: So, um, just in case, you know, the audience doesn't know what camera traps are, they're basically just trail cameras you can get at Walmart or um, I think Dick's Sporting Goods probably has it. They're automatic cameras that are usually in a box. You strap them onto a tree or a pole, and when the animal walks in front of it, it breaks an invisible beam and it takes a picture or a video. So it depends. It actually depends on whether we're putting out cameras and we're doing field work or whether I'm analyzing the data. So when we're doing field work, I'm mostly in the field, in the forest. When I was doing my work in Madagascar, I camped out in the rainforest for a couple weeks at a time. And it would be days of hiking, checking cameras, occasionally doing surveys for lemurs, making sure that the cameras weren't dying on us, and then pulling SD cards from the camera so we got the picture the pictures, the data. When I'm not doing field work, when I've collected basically all my data, I'm usually Sitting at my computer most of the time, just running statistical models on the data, trying to figure out where animals are, when they're active, how they interact with each other, etc.
0: That's awesome. That sounds both challenging and also probably really fulfilling, too. For me, because I've never been to Madagascar, I feel like just like getting to go to Madagascar and experience it would be really, really cool.
1: Yeah, it was I've always wanted to travel outside of the United States. So I was really excited when I got the program. My first summer, though, (laughs) um, it was actually very difficult. It was super cold and rainy. And I thought since, you know, Madagascar was a rainforest ecosystem, it would be tropical and hot. And I wouldn't have to worry about um, long sleeve shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies. But No, it was actually rainy and cold for a good week while I was camping out in the rainforest. So basically being damp all the time, I got a cold and then I had to deal with terrestrial leeches, which was a totally (laughs) new and awful thing. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. You never. I hate ticks. So the leeches were just. Like yeah. it was worse. It
0: was much worse. That is not something they warn you about in like documentaries. They don't no. say. <laughs> they no. Don't say like the film crew had to deal with leeches.
1: No, they don't. They do not. Even though I think there's more attention now on leeches uh, because it turns out that you know since leeches suck blood, what people are starting to do now is catch leeches and then they'll genotype the blood in them and figure out what animals are in the area from that
0: that's so smart
1: yeah I'm not sure uh, how you know exactly they do it. You probably have to find a leech person
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> to talk to. That's a that's a great lead, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's really cool. I'm so glad you told me that because you know w- sometimes when I talk to other like people that work in ecology or doing field work in biology, they talk about taking non-invasive samples. Is that like a source of like a like a type of non-in? Well, I guess for the leech, it's not non-invasive.
1: <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah, you're you're killing the leech, and it's I guess. The leech animal interaction isn't non invasive, but the human animal interaction is. So it's, there's levels.
0: That poor leech has to be a very unfortunate middleman. Yeah. Well, before we get like really into FUSAs, which I'm like chomping at the bit too, but real quick, I did want to ask about when you're doing the fieldwork where you're placing the cameras. Mm -hmm. How do you know like where to put a camera? Like, how do you know like, oh, there's going to be some animals that I want to see here? What's the thought process behind where you put a camera?
1: So generally, what we want to do is we want to focus on trails. Because animals are like us, they don't like having to bushwhack every single place they're going to. So if there's a trail, if there's an easier way through, then they're definitely going to take that. So what we did was we usually followed human trails, and they'll use human trails too. And if there wasn't a human trail, but it looked like animals were kind of active in the area. There was uh, places where the brush was a little disturbed. We would kind of clear it up a little bit so it's a little bit nicer and put cameras there. They'll come to water, so water features are always a good place to check. Obviously, if you have actual signs like paw prints or scat or anything like that, then um, that's where you want to put your camera.
0: Do you ever catch them leaving the scat on the camera? No. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> no? No.
1: Uh, thankfully not. No.
0: <laughs> well, so I, you know, I've followed you on, on Twitter for a while. I see some of the things that you post that end up being pictures of Fusa and, and other animals that you've caught on the camera that are like so exhilarating to me. Mm-hmm. I see them and I'm like, oh, beautiful. <laughs> because you get to just see them out being themselves in their home. It's so cool. So exciting. So for people who don't know what a FUSA is, which I will admit, I'm right there. Like, I barely know what a FUSA is. (laughs) What's a FUSA?
1: Okay, so they look like a cat, basically. They have a long tail and they have little rounded ears and the muzzle and the paws and the claws a long, lean, slinky body, but they're actually mongooses, (laughs) mongoose, that sort of evolved into this cat-like form when their ancestors went from, I believe, the east coast of Africa to the island of Madagascar. So yeah, there's like 10 other, no, nine other species of carnivores on the island of Madagascar, and they all evolved from the mongoose that you see. Like little striped monkeys, they're like little squirrels, almost squirrel-looking animals, but they Aww. flesh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Madagascar's carnivores evolved from this kind of general body type. And there are ones that look like foxes. There are ones that look like regular monkeys. And then there's the Falunuk, which is this really weird animal that kind of looks like a cat, but it's got like a really pointy muzzle. Mm. Um, that sort of tapers to a point. It's an insectivore. So we think that the snout is just to make it easier to look for grubs. But sure.
0: Yeah. So there's no actual cats in Madagascar. No. Well, there are feral cats and
1: domestic mm. cats, but yeah, there are no native cats in Madagascar.
0: Okay. Is there any sort of like competition between the cats and the fusa? That's a good question.
1: So there have been some studies on it and we haven't really seen necessarily competition between cats and fusa even though if the cats are out there they're going to be eating animals that the fusa would be able to eat if the cat wasn't there they'll probably exchange disease so that's a problem uh dogs and fusa though that's a that's a big problem um dogs will kill fusa
0: oh oh no yeah Is a fusa bigger than a dog or smaller than a dog smaller okay yeah in my head i was thinking like i don't know puma size yeah
1: um (laughs) people like they look like they should be bigger than they are and they Mm -hmm. act like they should be bigger (laughs) than
0: they are but um
1: they're they're actually pretty small yeah i'd say they stand about like maybe foot and a half maybe two feet
0: oh they are kind of little yeah you know why i thought they were big is because they're like ripped like Mm -hmm. (laughs) the fact that they're like completely shredded yes
1: they're really buff it's
0: it's crazy. It's like solid muscle. Yes, solid <laughs> muscle. <laughs> well, that's a good lead into what we do on this particular podcast. If this is your first time listening, we review animals by like rating them out of 10 in three different categories. The first one being effectiveness, which is like physical adaptations to their body that lets them do a really good job of the things that they're trying to do. Right. So this is like a predator. hmm. So things that let them hunt their prey, things that might let them not get preyed upon themselves. I don't know how much of a risk there is of that for a FUSA, um, but like you said, like from dogs. So maybe like something that helps them uh, survive, something that helps them thrive in their environment, things that are built into their body. What do you think you would give them out of 10 for effectiveness?
1: I think I would give them an 8, Point five. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. One point five points off for not being bigger than dogs. Mm. <laughs> um, I think that would probably help them a lot more.
0: Yeah. Um, are dogs like a recent addition to the island?
1: Yeah, they're they're recent. They're not native, so obviously they hadn't evolved with them. But
0: do Fusa, like, where do they live in Madagascar? Are they like up in the trees? Are they down on the ground? Like, where are you going to find them?
1: both places okay they will sleep in trees they'll hunt in trees um they'll run through trees race through trees they mate in trees so there are two adaptations that help them with working in trees um they have these reversible ankles which help them climb down a tree head first i think margays also have that the cat that lives in um south america
0: When you say reversible, you mean like they can like twist their paw around?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how it works, but that's the term that they use and it it helps them climb down better.
0: That's really cool.
1: Yeah. And then there's also their tail, which is super long, at least body length, potentially longer than that. And they use the tail for balance. So they'll just be running across branches and jumping and everything and their tail will just be whirling about just keeping them (laughs) balanced and stuff
0: i feel like i've seen videos of them in captivity where you see them kind of like running around um from place to place it's really like graceful it's really cool
1: yeah they're super graceful and that's because they're pretty much made to run around in trees even though they do use the ground we get a lot of our pictures on the ground
0: what is it exactly that they like hunt like what kind of animals are they after when they're hunting in their trees lemurs Lemurs. Yes. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> so one of our sites or at most of our sites, the white front and brown lemur was the most common, so I would assume that fooses were mostly hunting them. But there's this one lemur called an injury. It sings kinda like a whale. And it's as big as a toddler. It can get as big as a, a human toddler and they'll hunt those as well.
0: And they're pretty chunky, huh?
1: Yeah, they're pretty <laughs> chunky. So I guess that's where the muscles come in.
0: I was just <laughs> <laughs> to say like you'd have to be pretty jacked to yeah. be taken down something that size yep
1: and they usually just do it through like a skull bite they'll just grab the skull and
0: oh yeah you know i've heard about because i think a while back we did an episode on wolverines which is mm-hmm. different are fusa's mustelids also are they within the same like mustelid group
1: so they're in their own family you play day but they're basically in like the nebulous mustelid <laughs> weasel group
0: so something we talked about with the wolverine that I've heard applied to a lot of other members of this group is having like a lot of bite force. Yep. Like a good serious crunch on them. Is this what we're working with a, with the FUSA too? Yes. You ever see them like crunch through, can they crunch through bone? I've heard about this with like hyenas I think and wolverines that they can like chomp through bone.
1: They can crunch through skulls. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they can probably crunch through bones as well, other bones.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it is. At least it might be like a little bit horrifying, but I think it's pretty <laughs> cool. Especially when it's like primate skull, you, you get that, like it hits a little close to home. Yep. You're like, it yeah. could be me. <laughs> it could. <laughs> Yeah, that's why i'm not getting too close to them but like you see them in captivity and they just have this like really beautiful way of like moving around their mm-hmm. in whatever sort of habitat they're in i think it's just like chef's kiss it's so beautiful like it takes like everything that you like about cats <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. and then sort of adds it like that weasel kind of ferocious vicious yeah. little <laughs> spunky attitude
0: i know it's yeah. so good <laughs> Do they have, like, eyes like cats?
1: They do. They do. Yeah.
0: Is it the, like, the slit eye, the slit pupil eye?
1: Yes, but they'll dilate as well.
0: Oh, I love that. That adds, like, a lot of drama to it, I think. Yes. <laughs> so the next, like, category that we talk about when we talk about, like, raiding our animals is ingenuity, okay. which are, like, behavioral adaptations so things that animals doing with their body right so maybe they're navigating their environment in a certain way or they're just solving problems that they encounter on a like sort of daily basis what would you give them for ingenuity
1: i would give them nine
0: that's pretty good i'm not sure
1: if i'm ever gonna give them a 10 i'm
0: sorry (laughs) that's okay (laughs) they need to be humbled a little bit maybe they're a little like too perfect yeah (laughs) yep (laughs) Do you get to, like, watch a lot of their behaviors when you're seeing what you've, like, captured on the traps?
1: Well, I mean, you can sort of infer behavior from the pictures. So we'll get pictures of, series of pictures of Fusa, like, attacking our cameras. And they will be, like, gnawing on them and playing with them and stuff like that. Aww. Um,
0: That's kind of cute.
1: Yeah. And we'll get pictures of Fusa that are sort of running around together. So there's that one thing you have male FUSA that actually sort of pack up into these like brotherly squads of two or three, and they'll coordinate and hunt together so that they can take down bigger prey. So that's the oh, wow. cool, ingenious thing that they do. But I feel and I wish we had done video more. <laughs> um, I feel like we would definitely have been able to get better behavioral data if we had video instead of just pictures, still pictures. But you can still learn a lot from pictures.
0: Yeah. So you said that the male Fusa like to like group up together. Yeah. Is this like an all the time thing? Like they're always like hanging out in their little squad or do they like to live alone? Like how do they interact with other Fusa?
1: Okay. So as a species, Fusa are generally solitary. Females are solitary unless they have their babies with them. And studies in the West have shown that the males sort of like break into these two types, social types. There are loners, who um, will be generally smaller than the the ones that group up, the male brother squad, FUSA.
0: What about the females? Do the females like click up or do they kind of chill on their own? They chill
1: on their own. And it's because, you know, you got to have a territory that you protect and certain food resources to provide for you and your babies. So you you don't really have as much advantage to kind of clicking up.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, you got to protect what's yours. Like yeah. You got to kind of watch out for your own little space. Mm-hmm. Before we hit record, you mentioned something that really piqued my interest that I would <laughs> love to talk about. And it is this, I'll let you describe it. Yes. Um, but when the female fooses are growing up, that they do something very interesting. Yes.
1: So it's this thing called transient masculinization. That's the scientific term for it. And it Probably happens due to the Fusa's like unique mating system. So Fusa have these huge home ranges and for the most part, they're solitary. So when a female Fusa wants to breed, she'll climb up to this one specific tree and get into the branches and she'll start calling. And during the breeding season, males will come to that tree as well. And they'll come to the same tree like year after year after year. It's like a a place to mate basically.
0: It's like a nightclub in the middle of the forest.
1: Basically a nightclub in the middle of the forest.
0: Come find you a boo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's because
1: it's so hard for them to get together that we think that this thing happens to younger female Fusa. This is after they leave their moms, So they're independent, but they're not ready to have babies themselves. And to avoid being harassed by male Fusa, what they'll do is they'll sort of change their body and they'll start emitting smells and oils that only males do. Other parts of their, uh, physiology will change to look more like a male's. Huh. Yeah. And it's basically, they're just basically, I guess, putting on like a hoodie or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, they're going a backwards in disguise. Cap. Yeah. They're
0: going in disguise. <laughs> They've got like a fake mustache on. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And that's how they'll, you know, sort of do their thing while they're still preparing to be moms and to avoid being harassed by males.
0: That's so interesting that it has, like, such a physical effect on them.
1: Yes, it's insane.
0: That is really wild. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is this something that is unique to the FUSA? Because I feel like I've never heard of this happening before.
1: Okay, so hyenas have a similar thing, but it's not temporary like Mm -hmm. it is for FUSAs. Because after, you know... The female foos is ready to breed, she'll kind of shift back to female form and she'll start acting like a female. Uh, hyenas have a masculinization thing, but it's more permanent. So the females are some parts of their physiology will look a lot like a male's and it's for their entire life.
0: Because hyena, like, reproduction dynamics are off the wall. Yeah. Like, they're absolutely <laughs> yeah. unhinged. Yes. Um, and it's very, very cool. Uh, but it, it, I feel like I heard somewhere that, like, that was more tied to, like, their social dynamic. Like, they kind of take on a form that, like, is, like, tied to their dominance in their social structure.
1: I think so. I wish I knew more about hyenas right now. I think it is. Well, the transient masculinizations due to social dynamics. So, oh. I wouldn't be surprised if the hyenas is the same process.
0: That's so interesting that they do that basically to just be like leave me alone. Like yeah. I'm not I'm not available at this moment, so just like they put on their little false mustache and yep. <laughs> fly under the radar. That is so wild. Yeah. You don't hear that on um Madagascar, that's for sure. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, very much. So, <laughs> Was the So I'm I'm trying to remember what I remember from the movie Madagascar, and I was like an infant child when I saw that movie. So I remember so little of it, but do you know if that was like, if they had like an accurate representation of Fusas in that movie?
1: So the Fusas look like cats, which is about, that's good. The Fusas ran in packs, which is, you know, sort of similar to the male thing, but... They ran in, like, huge packs of 20, I think, or 50. Like, they ran overran places, so I'm not sure if that's... And I haven't watched it in a long time either, so... (laughs) But I remember there being a lot of fusas for some Mm -hmm. reason. So that's not so accurate. Fusas are pretty low density. There's, like, one per 50 (laughs) or so square kilometers. Uh, They have huge home ranges. They do eat lemurs, so they are a problem for lemurs. And lemurs will have calls to sort of avoid being eaten by FUSA.
0: Oh, I was just talking to Jen Tinsman, and she studied blue-eyed black lemurs. Yes. And she was telling me that the lemurs had different calls for different types of predators. They had like a call for like a bird, a call for a snake, Mm -hmm. and then a call for a FUSA. Yep. That's so cool to me. Yeah.
1: (laughs) They get their own special call
0: oh man i guess that makes sense right because it's not quite in the air it's not quite on the ground they can be anywhere oh. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they need a special call for them oh true you gotta stay on your toes at all times yep are they sneaky are fuses sneaky or are they just kind of like going for it
1: they're sneaky they'll sort of creep up and kind of like your cat when you're like playing with the toilet, they'll move forward and
0: like do like a slinky sort of like yep creep up yep Oh, man, that's really neat. They're so cool. (laughs) Yeah. So the last like category that we rate animals on, which I feel like the FUSA is going to really excel in is aesthetics. And it's literally just how nice the animal is to look at. So what would you give the FUSA for aesthetics? Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, 10. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. There's the 10.
0: They came in clutch. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, again, the cat feline gracefulness is really nice their coats are this nice pretty kind of pearly brown color
0: it does have almost a shine
1: yeah it does have like a really nice sheen to it
0: is it long hair or is it short hair
1: it's short but i'm assuming it's dense i've never touched one unfortunately but due to the sheen i'm assuming it's pretty dense
0: Based on what you've told me so far, I feel like touching one is not at the very high on my list of things I would like to do. <laughs>
1: I've always wanted to touch one.
0: And it's like, I'm really, I'm kind of upset
1: I haven't been able to touch one yet. And yes.
0: the eyes and... Oh, oh
1: yeah, their eyes are so gorgeous. Like, they're just like golden, intense eyes, and it's really...
0: Mm. And the round ears, the little, like, yeah. like teddy bear ears. Yeah, yes, <laughs> teddy bears
1: yeah exactly and then they got like this like kind of dog nose it's a little thicker and squishier than a cat's usually is and it feels like it'll be like perfectly boopable
0: <laughs> forbidden <laughs> yeah it's kind of like bears how you see mm-hmm. one and you're like it's so cute and it looks so soft and i just want to be their best friend but i know like you just know it's bad for you but yep. like you can't stay away
1: mm-hmm. exactly
0: which I'm I'm very much in the, you know, leave wild animals alone, keep your distance, don't bother them camp. Yes. I also get it. Like, I relate very strongly to that urge, that very, like, urge to, like, but I just gotta.
1: Yeah, you just gotta touch it, but you can't.
0: Don't. You cannot touch do it. Not. They can crush your skull, so don't <laughs> yep. do that. Yep. They're specifically made for crushing primate skulls. Yes. So do not. Yeah. It's not worth it. It's not worth the trouble.
1: No, it's not.
0: So uh, before we wrap up today, I want to kind of give you the floor to let us know, like, what kind of projects you're working on right now, if there's anything that you're involved with right now that you want people to know about, where people can find you, all sorts of things like that.
1: Yeah, so I just recently finished my PhD at Penn State. Yay,
0: congratulations.
1: Thank you. And I'm moving on to a postdoc looking at coyotes and figuring out why they're so cool and they can live in the city. Um, Amazing. Have you done a coyote podcast yet? Yeah, we talked okay. to
0: um, Jasmine Murphy, who talked to us about coyotes. It's funny, I was just thinking about that the other day, because we heard we have a pack of coyotes that lives behind our house. So um, and I was listening to them. And I was thinking about that conversation I had with her. And it was just like, oh, they're so good.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're great. Yeah, so they're, you know, they're not as cool as Fusa, but like, they're <laughs> close enough that I'm pretty happy to be studying them. Where people can find me, I have a website. It's AsiaJMurphy.com. So basically, just my name. I'm also on Twitter, but my Twitter's kind of, it's not as family friendly as I've been <laughs> on here.
0: So. Grownups only. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah.
0: And I've been, I've been following you for a while and the pictures are, they're so good. They're so good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> There's always something really cool on there. And, and it's not, I should say, not just camera traps it's like also uh macro photography right you do yeah
1: i'm doing a lot of pictures of these
0: oh they're beautiful
1: yeah i mean you know their eyes are just crazy they're like faceted eyes and i love them
0: like a kaleidoscope it's so good yeah (laughs) yep (laughs) oh and also before before we sign off for today i did also want to plug that i was linked with you through the lemur conservation network yep So uh, I've been working together with their science communication team to kind of focus on doing episodes about animals that live in Madagascar, including the blue-eyed black lemur that I talked about um, recently. This episode should go up after that one. So yeah, the blue-eyed black lemur, now the FUSA. Um, So we're really highlighting a lot of animals from Madagascar right now. Very excited about that. So big plug for the Lemur Conservation Network. Do you know what you're going to do next from Madagascar? I don't, we haven't done too many, so I did one also through lemur conservation on Roll shafaka, okay. um, last year. I've also done one that was just like me, mm-hmm. um, And my husband, who is my co-host for non-guest episodes, where I talked about the giraffe-necked weevil. (laughs) That's a good one. Really cool. Really cool. Um, So no, I don't have any other plans for like the next ones. Mm -hmm. I am totally open to leads. Okay. So big plug for Lemur Conservation Network. They're super cool. Um, Thank you to them for getting us linked up. And also thank you to you for your time and your knowledge. And this has been really fun.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Of course.
1: Yeah, hopefully I was clear. <laughs> was oh, good. yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. You're natural. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Asia. And we'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.